kind of dig the, uh, felt like a Dave Matthews vibe. You know what I mean? No. Okay. That's all right. Well, this summer, like I said, we're just going to explore the different ways that we experience uh, the presence of God. I think this is very helpful uh, for us to be reminded of and to explore and to think about again uh, and again. There's a couple of verses that the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, and he says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And these words are really just this uh, description of a desired intimacy with God and a closeness with God. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Not about him, but know Christ. That's the sentiment here. And that's the desire, I think, as I said earlier in the service, that kind of hums in all of our hearts uh, to know the presence of God in our lives because there are times and seasons when God's presence is not all that apparent. Amen? And we're struggling to find his fingerprints on any part of our daily lives. We're looking, but it doesn't sometimes seem like uh, there's any trace. It's like a missing uh, transcendence, an absence of presence. And the questions are very simple, like, are there ways to see God? I don't mean in sort of the crazy ways, like in a Dorito chip. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Uh, But are there ways to see that God is with us and among us? Are there ways to hear God? I mean, how do you do that? Um, We used to, I, you know, when I was in youth ministry, we'd have interns, you know, and, um, but we also had people that would graduate and go to um, Bible colleges and seminaries in their undergrad. <laughs> we always met with these people. We'd take them to Chick-fil-A, of course, because that's, you know, Christian chicken and like, a, you know, sort of set the tone. And we would sit down with them. And my intern and I would sit down with these students that were going to, to Bible college. And we had like this top 10 things they needed to know. One of them was like, don't date anybody your first year. Like, just don't do it. And... Um, and then the second thing was always, at, at Bible college, like, God talks to a lot of people, okay? A lot of people. So uh, never the professors, by the way, but just the weird students. And um, so we just were like, be, be very conscious that people think that they're hearing things that God is saying. But how do we hear God? Like, how do we actually do that? Another question is, like, is the Christian life only a kind of philosophy. I think sometimes we can fall into that. I can fall into that too. It's a way of thinking about the world. It's, it's detached from like an integrated life. It's more of a philosophical thing, you know? And we do this. I mean, our culture is very, uh, it's very apparent in our culture in, in, in recent decades. It's like got a little Jesus, a little Buddha, a little yoga. Like it's all sort of like a thing. And Christianity becomes more of just like a, a thought thing. And so is it more than that? Or is there a divine-to-human relationship that is possible? That's the question. Now, the good news is, uh, in terms of the church, but also uh, in, if we go all the way back to our uh, forefathers in Judaism, there's just thousands and thousands of years of things and practices that have defined the spiritual life. And in each of these, we can discover, I think, 
more and more of God's presence in our lives uh, and in, in the world around us. And that's what this summer is all about. So if you've been in a time of like, I mean, I know all the stories and <laughs> I know how the service works on Sundays, but there's still this feeling of an absence. This is a great time to be present when you're, when you're here uh, because each Sunday we'll look at like what I'm just calling a different tradition or practice uh, and explore how each of these helps build our relationship with God. And today we start with water, water. Romans 6.1, as Tana read, Paul writes, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? This is how this text begins. There's been a long debate through the centuries as to whether or not the Apostle Paul is quoting someone in the Roman church or if he's utilizing some sort of interlocutor character that he's put in the letter, or if he's just priming them for what he's going to say uh, by asking a question that seems like something people might ask. Uh, And I kind of like the question. It's hard to say, but the question is interesting, if not a little humorous. It's kind of like saying, well, we we wouldn't want to keep grace bored over there, so let's give it some work to do by kind of living it up in any sort of way. But the joke is always on us when we start asking about the limits of grace because there is no limit to grace. You can't win grace. You can't win against grace. Grace is already uh, everywhere. So does a certain amount of sin elicit more grace? No. Grace is just what it is. It's all-encompassing. Does that make sense? Now, I know some of you Georgia Tech Christian Campus Fellowship people are just chomping at the bit. There's a tradition, and I'm going to allow you to participate in this now. Uh, I was first introduced to this many years ago, attending a baptism at Georgia Tech CCF. And the person would say, what then are we to say? Shall we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? And the people would say, hell no. no. (laughs) There you go. Now, if you're visiting today, this is what we do. It's one of the funniest things and kind of one of the most favorite things I've ever seen at a baptism. It's not in the prayer book. I couldn't find it in the liturgy. Um, but the sentiment is great. Uh, if, if, in fact, you read the uh, catechism renunciations of baptism from the ancient church, then that sentiment is certainly present. So uh, you're, not just, you're not just cool. Um, you're historic. But the real weight in this verse, in this question that Paul asks, uh, is how Paul is talking about continuing, what he talks about continuing in sin, which is a way of talking about a life that is living without hope uh, beyond what is broken in the world. Like looking around and just being like, it's, it doesn't matter or also broken in us. There's always this tendency to be like, well, I'm not perfect, you know? And that's true. Nobody is, but like sometimes that can be a resignation um, to what God may want to uh, do in us. And it's a giving up of sorts that maybe forgiveness is just an idea, you know? It seems like a dig that Paul is making, but it's also a very good, profound, benevolent question. 
Are you in a place where you look around and look within and you like kind of give up? That maybe forgiveness is an idea or worse, a joke, you know, that it's not possible. And he goes on to say in verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his what? Death. This is a very interesting question. What Paul is doing here is something that has deep roots within the Jewish and the Christian traditions. I mean, I wrote my master's on this idea. And it's this practice of spiritual formation through memory. We look back. We don't look for we tend to look forward. What what's ahead what's ahead for me? But when things are in conflict, when things are struggling, what you find time and time again in the scriptures is memory. Before God even gives the Ten Commandments, he says, don't forget, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. You know, this is a common phrase. Remember the past. The memory is what keeps us going. And here he's asking them to remember, quite simply, their baptism. I love it. Now, I brought this in. This is in my office. Some of you probably looked at this and went, this is an interesting new addition to the sanctuary. But this is a piece of the baptistry that we had in our uptown years. So the last baptism on here is 2016. People signed it when they got baptized. And then we moved out and we carved that out with, I don't know what they're called. I don't do tools, but um, <laughs> some sort of saw with a cable. And, and we framed it and we hung it in our office downtown. And then again, it has been sitting in my office ever since. And the point was... When people would come into church, they would, they would see, if they looked, they would see their name on this baptistry. It's beautiful. And um, they would see not just the name, but the date. I still, to this day, if I have their contact, I will take a picture of that. Because a lot of these people have moved. You know, this is the nature of our church. Like, half these people live across the country now. Um, and, and others have moved away in other places like school and stuff. But I'll take a picture and text it to them. Hey, today's the day. This is the day you got baptized 10, 15 years ago, whatever it is. Remember your baptism because it's not this insignificant thing, you know. A church tradition on Easter is to help people remember that. Remember your baptism. Do you remember yours? You know? Do you ever think about that experience? Maybe you were baptized as a child, but the invite is still the same to recall that that experience happened to you, that you were baptized. And why is it important to remember? It's because it was a moment, if only a moment, when each of us uh, were quite aware of what it meant. If you remember your baptism you know, if you were baptized as a, a, a young adult or whatever, you remember that moment as a very hyper-aware moment. But I'm doing something that's quite special. And it means something and how it was influenced by this knowledge of the grace of God. You're not doing it to win. You're not doing it. Maybe you were. I don't know. A lot of people get rebaptized because they come to me and they're just like, I was forced to do this. And um, there's all these weird things that people will come to me about through the years and say, can I just redo this? Uh, Because I felt like I was walked into it unwillingly or apprehensively. But for those of you who made that decision, you remember that moment. I mean, life may have gone to hell since then, but in that moment, 
There's this kind of like real hyper-presence of what it means to be covered in the grace of God. I used to be against the, not against, but more averse to the catechism style of doing baptism, which is a set-aside length of time for what we would call like candidates for baptism to study and to pray and to fast before someone is baptized. This is a tradition of the ancient church for sure. But I understand its beauty now and its value because by the time someone walks to the baptistry on Easter Sunday, so to speak, there's been a journey. There's been some time spent not just in the topic but with God and there's a readiness there that sometimes doesn't exist in the heat of the moment, you know. Um, so Paul is emphasizing this memory. Please remember your baptism. Now, some of you might be going, I've never been baptized. Well, then you don't have to remember it because <laughs> you can't. But we can talk about that. We can talk about that as part of your spiritual development. But that's not what this sermon is about. Verse 4 is the one, if you're looking for a verse to cross-stitch, this is it. (laughs) Therefore, Paul writes, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Paul talks about baptism in a death and resurrection kind of way. The Bible, by the way, is loaded with water stories. I don't know if you know this. It begins this way. Remember, we did this uh, several weeks ago on Trinity Sunday, where in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it's like the whole scene is set of a chaotic, uncreated, need-to-be-recreated earth. And the main uh, image here is this, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the what? The waters. It begins with water. Uh, You have stories like the flood. You have the story of uh, Naaman, the leper, who's been told to wash seven times in the the water to be healed. You have the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, water. You have the woman at the well in the New Testament, water. You have Jesus healing someone of blindness with water. Water is an agent in the Bible of renewal, of like these stories. the, the New Testament writers began to reinterpret these Old Testament stories as almost baptismal images. Even though they're their own stories, but there's this reappropriation of like, oh, well, baptism is about this birth. And all of these stories deal with the kind of redemption piece. And Paul talks about baptism in a death and resurrection kind of way. Do you see it in the text if it's still up there? You're buried you're dead, and then what? You rise. In our tradition, the Christian church, this has long been a kind of baptismal creed, often quoted verbatim as the one being baptized is lowered into the water. You're buried with Christ, and then we let them die for a minute, (laughs) and then we bring them up, and we say raised to walk in a newness of life. Two weeks ago, I talked about forgiveness, this moment of forgiveness. And what, what's being buried in baptism is this attempt at self-redemption, self-salvation. We live our lives like, 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to progress. I'm going to be all I can be. I'm going to save myself from all that is harmful. I'm going to save myself from myself, which is a really bad idea. But what's being buried in baptism is the denial of that idea, that self-redemption, that instead of trying to manage sin, as philosopher Dallas Willard says, to manage sin, baptism dies to that idea. It basically says, I can't manage it. God has to manage that. Amen? None of us can manage that. And the real heart of Paul's words here, however, when he says that we might walk in a newness of life. In the ancient church, baptism was seen as a kind of costume change. It symbolized the exchange of an old self for the new. Paul uses this language in other letters in the New Testament where he says, in baptism, you put on Christ like a jacket, like a new piece of clothing. In the church in Jerusalem in the fourth century, this is a really beautiful practice that um, when people were baptized, you know, they would make these renunciations. <laughs> you know, I, re- I renounce all these things, you know, in their life or whatever. They would make these renunciations. And then after they would make these renunciations, they would hear these affirmations of what God uh, will do in their life. But as they make the renunciations, they face west. And then they are baptized and they, make, they hear the affirmations and they are faced east physically as if the sun is setting on the old life and the new life in Christ, the morning star was rising. Isn't that beautiful? We couldn't do it here. There's no baptistry in here. It makes me upset. Um, and, you know, I don't know, what, I, I don't know what direction we're aiming, north, south, east, or west. I think this is uh, west, right? Lindsay always makes fun of me because whatever I point to, it's always this way. We need to go to the mall always. My wife's like, always. It's always this way. But it would, be, it would be a beautiful thing to have the baptistry faced in those directions. But alas, it'll never happen. <laughs> never say never. There you go with your affirmations and your... <laughs> Let me wrap it up here. This is just a reminder. The presence of God has never not been a thing. Ever. And baptism doesn't enlarge God's presence in any way. God is who God is, regardless of what we do or don't do. Amen? But it is a moment in our spiritual formation when the presence of God was, for many of you, quite clear, if only for a moment. If you were baptized as a child and have no memory of the event, there was still a point in your church tradition where you confirmed that baptism, where you announced in such a way that you are stepping into that in your life. Whatever the case may be, our reading from this morning does something quite simple in that it simply asks us to remember the water, to remember that moment, to remember that your life isn't really your own, and that God is with you in the ways that you can never imagine, and that in the waters of baptism, symbolically, is the gospel story of grace and forgiveness and peace as all that stress and anxiety of trying to be perfect 
rolls downstream. And we say to God and we say to the world, I put my life in your hands. It's a powerful touch point in the journeys of our faith. Amen.